Well, that was some great music this morning, wasn't it? Uh, thank you. Yes, thank you, guys. And these guys know I like the song they did this morning, Jesus is Coming Soon. That's a good one. And boy, it's a happy song, isn't it? And, and it gets you clapping, and I love the beat to it. It just. And, but I noticed something odd this morning. We're singing, you know, Jesus is coming soon. We're all happy, morning or night and noon. Many will meet their doom. <laughs> and we're kind of clapping and smiling. <laughs> That's not too happy, is it? Now, I, I'm, I'll, I'm glad for the song, and I hope they sing it again, but let's be mindful of the fact that uh, there's some good news and bad news about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Good news and bad news. Has anyone ever told you that before? Hey, I've got some good news and bad news for you. What do you want first? It's like the lawyer who came to his client and says, I've got some good news and bad news for you. What do you want first? He says, give me the bad news. Well, the bad news is the DNA tests show that your blood was all over the crime scene. God said, oh, no, I'm in big trouble. What's the good news? Good news is your cholesterol is down to 130. <laughs> Jesus is coming. I've got some good news and bad news for you. What do you want first? Well, Paul said, I'm going to give you the good news first. And that's what he does in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to that passage real quick. We're getting back into our series in 1 Thessalonians entitled, A Faith Worth Following. Remember, these Thessalonians are new believers. Paul had only been in the city of Thessalonica for three, maybe four weeks. A church was started, though, as he preached the gospel, but he had to leave because of persecution. So concerned he was that they may not be following Christ that he sent Timothy up there to check out the situation. And Timothy came back to Paul, who was in southern Greece by that time, and in the city of Corinth, and he said, listen, they're doing great. They're following you, the, the word of God. They're following the words that you proclaim. They are strong in their faith. Even though persecution is bad, they're going forward. And Paul was so happy, he wrote 1 Thessalonians to just encourage them. And he says, I hear of your faith. I hear of your love. I hear of your hope. I am thrilled. You guys are a model church of faith worth following. And even though they're in the midst of great persecution, they're continuing to go forward. But as young Christians, something really shocked them. They had their loved ones die. Now, they were so convinced that Jesus was coming soon that they thought no one would die before Christ came. But their loved ones were dying, and Christ hadn't come back yet. So they thought, what's going to happen to them? Are they separated from Christ? Are they lost? Are they disadvantaged? All kinds of questions came into their mind. And so Paul said, let me tell you the good news about the second coming of Christ. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. So Paul says, we don't want you, brothers, to be ignorant or uninformed regarding those who have fallen asleep. We don't want you to grieve like all the rest of humanity who has no hope. He says, we believe Jesus died and rose again, and we also believe that God is going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. So true believers who have died are with Christ. 
They're never separated from him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when he comes, they'll come with him. And their bodies will be resurrected first. And they'll join together with the Spirit. And then they'll come, and there'll be a gathering of all of those believers who are still on the earth. And then a grand reunion there will be. And so he ends the chapter with saying, therefore, comfort or encourage each other with these words. This is the good news of the second coming of Jesus Christ. No one is lost. And all believers will be reunited. And you'll see that loved one again in the presence of Jesus Christ. So it's as though someone in Thessalonica said, you know, that's great. I'm glad he's coming. When is he going to come? Tell me. And I'll get ready. I mean, after all, if you have guests coming for dinner next Friday, you'll get ready for the guests. Maybe Wednesday you'll start cleaning the house. You'll buy some food. You'll start cooking the food in preparation for their arrival Friday. But what will you do this week? Forget about it until Wednesday. If I know when you're coming, I can get ready. Jesus said, no, it doesn't work that way. You need to be always ready. And so he starts out 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that, by the way, talks about the bad news of the second coming in verse 1. Now, brothers, about the times and the dates... We do not need to write to you. By the way, this phrase, times and dates, is used three times in the New Testament. One of the other times is in Acts chapter 1, where the disciples, the apostles, are saying the same thing. Tell us when you're coming. What are the times and the dates? Two different Greek words, by the way. The, the word for time is chronos, that just speaks about the movement of time. And then the second Greek word is a qualitative description of time, a special event a crisis or something unique. Uh, I suppose maybe the best way to describe it is to think of a young man who spends five minutes in a dentist chair and five minutes with his fiancée. Now, from the standpoint of chronology, the five minutes are the same, right? From the standpoint of quality of time, <laughs> the five minutes are vastly different. And so what about the times and the dates, the special events that are going to take place in those times. What about the second coming? And Paul says, you do have no need for me to write to you, for you know perfectly well that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers... You're not in the darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night. We do not belong to the darkness. Now notice, there are two kinds of people. Verse 5, those who belong to the night. And verse 8, the people who belong to the day. Night, darkness, day, light. Two groups of people. And everyone in the world belongs to one of those two groups. And this is the best way to define humanity. It's not by Republican and Democrat. It's not by U of M and MSU. It is by those who belong to the night and those who belong to the day. 
Where do you belong? Well, let's get a good description about these two groups of people, and that's basically what Paul does. If you go back to verse 2, he says, You know very well that the day of the Lord comes, is coming. Present tense, making it even more vivid. It's on its way. And this takes us back to the Old Testament, doesn't it? Where the day of the Lord, that whole doctrine was developed in books like Joel chapter 2, verse 1, Amos chapter 5, Zechariah chapter 1, the book of Isaiah. They all talk about the day of the Lord and its judgment side. The day of the Lord is going to be a time of vindication, and the day of the Lord is going to be a time of condemnation. Good news and bad news. Amos puts it this way in chapter 5, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be a day of darkness and a day of night. <laughs> a day of night. Yeah, the day of the Lord is coming, and that's when God is going to even the score in many ways, and judgment is going to come upon many people. And, in, and then he uses two metaphors to describe this coming. The first is a thief in the night, verse 2. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief at nighttime. Now, you think about that, and uh, the problem with a robber or a burglar is that they don't announce their coming. It's sudden and unexpected. Why do they come at the night? Because you are probably sleeping, Right? You're not awake, alert. The darkness covers their deeds. The night, hopefully, makes you inactive, unaware. Or in verse 7, if you happen to be awake, you might be at a party and be drunk. Because verse 7 says, those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. The robber thinks he's got a pretty good chance. Certainly, his... The percentages are increased if he comes at night and being successful. And the day of the Lord comes with that kind of suddenness and also that kind of destruction. Look at verse 3. When people are saying peace and safety, which harkens us back to Jeremiah 6, many will cry peace when there is no peace. I think of our world leaders as they gather together in these summits to create world peace. And I hope they achieve some progress. But bottom line is, there will never be world peace until the Prince of Peace rules over the world. Until we give our hearts, in Christ, uh, our hearts to Christ, there'll not be real peace. But I know our leaders are going to sometimes say, we've achieved peace. And soon that peace will disintegrate. But it's a time when we feel secure. There's some degree of safety. And that's when disaster comes. Destruction will come on them suddenly. By the way, notice the word destruction. Verse 9, notice the word wrath. And we'll talk about that in a little more detail. That's why the coming of Jesus is not just good news. It's bad news. But it's going to come the day of the Lord like a thief in the night, and destruction is going to come suddenly like labor pains on a pregnant woman. Now, how is that different than the coming of a thief? It's like a thief in that it could be sudden, but it's not unexpected. Once you're pregnant, you know 
Labor pains are coming. You don't know exactly when, but you know they're coming. So what's Paul's point? His point is the labor pains are unavoidable. Look at the last part of the verse. There's no escape. So the day of the Lord is like a thief, and it will, it will come on you suddenly, unexpectedly, and it's like labor pains. There's no way out of it. It's inevitable. I'm sure every woman who's ever delivered a child during those labor pains wanted to run. If I can just get away from and, and, and then it hits you. There's no going back. There's nothing I can do. This is inevitable. Yeah, that's like the day of the Lord. And destruction will come upon them, and there will be no escape. Those are hard words, aren't they? No escape means people will look for one, but like the flood in Noah's day, no escape. Or like the, the fire and brimstone in Sodom and Gomorrah, no escape. It'll be too late. But, verse 4, and what a great transition, but you, brothers, you're not in the darkness so that this day, the day of the Lord, should surprise you like a thief. There's something about the people of the night. There's some characteristics that are true of them. The day of the Lord will surprise them. The day of the Lord will destroy them. And they live their lives morally asleep. But we're not like that. The transition is so dramatic. But you, brothers, you're not in the darkness. You don't belong to the night. You, you guys are sons of the day. This day is not going to surprise you. You're sons of the light. Verse 5, we do not belong to the darkness. Isn't that great? By the grace of God, I no longer, I once did, I no longer belong to the darkness. I belong to the light. I'm a son of the light. God is light, First John tells us, and in him is no darkness at all. When I trust him, I'm transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And now I'm a son of the light. This is a somatic idiom that means uh, the characteristics of. When someone is a son of something, the characteristics of the thing are transferred to the person. If I'm a son of the theater, that means that I have the characteristics of an actor. I love drama. I, I, I have those interests. When it says I'm a son of the light, it means I have the characteristics of the light. I've been born into the light. I've been made into the image of creator God, and I am to let my light so shine that others will see and glorify him. I'm to do the works of the light. I'm to put on the armor of the light. I'm a child of the light. I don't belong to the darkness. When Jesus comes, will it be light or darkness? The answer, both. Physically, it'll be light somewhere, and it will be darkness, night somewhere, whenever he comes. But morally speaking, it depends on your relationship to him. 
Are you in the darkness? When he comes, it will be darkness. The day of the Lord is a dark day, or it will be a day of light and salvation and redemption. So he tells us in verse 6, if you're sons of the light, then what about daytime behavior? That makes sense. So then, inescapable conclusion, let us not live like the rest of humanity, like others do, who are asleep or inactive. But let us be alert, awake, self-controlled, clear-headed, with our passions reined in. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk in the night. But we belong to the day, verse 8. So let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and hope, the hope of salvation, as a helmet. So Paul says this is daytime behavior described. Remember those three Christian virtues that he talked about in chapter 1, that beautiful triad of faith and love and hope? Paul said, I thank you for your, your work of faith and your labor of love and your endurance inspired by hope. He now uses those same triads and says, this is what a true believer is. This is what the children of light do. They're involved in works of faith, demonstration of love, and they're characterized by hope. But Paul now mixes them with the metaphor of the armor. He mentioned the armor in Romans chapter 13, when he talked about putting on the armor of light and waging war with the darkness. The most popular portion of Scripture that talks about the armor of God is Ephesians, chapter, Ephesians 6. And you'll notice that Paul sometimes switches the virtues with the different pieces of the armor. Here he says that the breastplate, by the way, the Greek word is thorax, to, to cover those vital organs of the chest, the breastplate is made up of faith and love, not just the shield of faith. And the helmet, that's the hope of salvation, protecting your heart and protecting your head, your mind, that there's this hope. You're not only involved in good deeds of faith and love, you are inspired by the hope that Jesus Christ is coming again. The future is as bright as the promises of God. And as we embrace those promises, hope protects us like a helmet and protects our thinking and guides our steps. We need to make sure that we're not yawning our way through life, but we are truly alert and awake as children of the day constantly looking and watching. It's not when he's going to return. See how wicked it is to say Jesus is going to return this year, Jesus is going to return this month, and make proclamations like that? The only thing that happens, the only result that takes place is that the church gets a black eye when someone makes such a stupid prediction and it doesn't happen. It's not about when. It's about watching. Watching. Be alert. Be awake. You don't know exactly when he's going to come, but you know he's going to come, and that's encouraging. And by the way, when he comes for you, it's not destruction, it's salvation. Look at verse 9. 
For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Two groups of people, two destinies. The wrath of God, the salvation of God. There's a strong movement among professing evangelicals to eliminate the wrath of God from our doctrinal stance and creed. And let me simply tell you, this does not come from the one who calls you. And it cannot be found in the pages of Scripture. The Bible gives us truth, sobering truth, but truth. Romans chapter 1 says the wrath of God is going to be revealed. And now in 1 Thessalonians 5, here it is. When Jesus comes, wrath and destruction, the bad news of the second coming, they're going to be present. But if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he's not coming to bring judgment upon you, eternal wrath. You've been appointed to receive salvation through Christ. Notice verse 10. Jesus Christ, the one who's coming, is the one who died for you, so that whether you wake or sleep, and now he changes the metaphor just a little bit. Now he's not talking about morality, but he's talking about those who are alive or dead, just like he did in chapter 4. Whether you are awake, alive, or sleeping, dead, you're a Christian, and Jesus died for you so that you would be with him. If you die, chapter 4... You're with him. If you're alive when he comes, he comes to take you to be with him because he died for you with his express purpose to unify you with himself, to make you his own so that you would belong to him and he'll never lose what belongs to him. So the coming of Christ is good news for the believer. Remember this, that the coming king is our crucified Savior who promised he would come and give to us that last installment of our salvation, the glorification part. We've been justified. We're in the process of being sanctified, and he's coming so that we will be glorified. And when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him just as he is. What a blessed so, verse 11 is exactly like the ending to chapter 4. What was it? Verse 18. Encourage one another, comfort one another, and build up each other just, in fact, as you are doing. Spend your time encouraging and building up believers because Jesus is coming soon. Maybe the best way to look at this is to think of those who belong to the light, the sons of the light. What characterizes them? Three things. They are to wake up, they are to lift up, and they are to build up. And that's what we should be doing. We're awake and alert. We're not asleep. We know Jesus is coming. It's not going to surprise us. It's not going to destroy us. We're looking for the blessed hope. We're longing for, we're loving the blessed hope. But I have to be honest with you. Sometimes I go through a lot of days without thinking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Is that true of you? Did you think of the second coming of Jesus Christ this morning? 
I did. <laughs> because I had to preach it. I didn't yesterday. I didn't wake up and think of the second coming of Christ. What about Friday? I had my devotions, but no. What about the day? How many days do I have to go back before I find myself longing for his appearing? This is what children of light do. I need to wake up. Paul said, awake from your sleep. Awake to righteousness. Some don't have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Even though we are children of the light, sometimes we can do a lot of napping. And we need to be alert. Right? So what, what are you going to do? You need something to remind you. A couple suggestions. I, I, I have a little card at home that I try to read every morning with just some verses on it. Sometimes just phrases like this. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Galatians 5, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. And I've added a new one. Revelation, even so, Come, Lord Jesus. I've got to remind myself. For a while, I, I carried a small cross in my pocket, not because I thought the cross would give me good luck, like a rabbit's foot or something, like it was a charm. No, but because when I would put my hand in my pocket to get out money or car keys, I would feel the cross and remember I've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. It's a great reminder. I need a reminder. I don't know about you. Maybe it's a rock that you'll put in your pocket that says coming on it. Then you put your hand in your pocket and you feel that smooth stone and you say, ah, Jesus is coming again. Had a lady come up after the first service and say, you know, we don't have pockets. <laughs> she said, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my iPhone and put it on my home page. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And every time that opens up, I'm going to remember Jesus is coming. That's great. Think of some way. Let it be the rubber band on the wrist or the string on the finger or the charm on the bracelet that tells you Jesus is coming. I've got to be awake. I've got to live like a children of the, uh, a child of the day. I've got to put on the faith and the love and the hope and be ready for battle. Lift up. Lift up. Encourage one another. We're, we get so down and discouraged. And that's where that great statement, the future is as bright as the promises of God come, comes in. If we would but look at the promises of God and would share those with one another and encourage one another, lift up one another's burdens, how exciting that would be. And build up. Nothing builds you up better than knowing the truth of Scripture as it relates to all the different doctrines, the teachings of Scripture. Know the teaching of the second coming of Christ. As we've studied in 1 Thessalonians 4, and as it washes over into 1 Thessalonians 5, from the good perspective and the bad perspective, the good news and the bad news, know this teaching. Let it inspire you that the days are short. We need to share the word, and let's be encouraged because Jesus is coming soon.
I want to put a town clock right out by the front door. You've seen these town clocks, haven't you, in the center square of a town? You say, Pastor, why do you want that? Is that to make us feel guilty because we're coming in late to the service? Yes. <laughs> but, but more importantly, I would love to have around that clock the words that are around the clock in Strasbourg, Germany, that says that one of these hours he will come. Wouldn't that be a great reminder as you're coming in Sunday morning? Or as you're going out <clears throat> at one of these hours, maybe today, he will come. I said in the first service, I'm not sure if that clock is still in Strasbourg, Germany, but Karen would know. One of the ladies in our choir who speaks German, teaches German, and she caught me after the first service and said, when you said my name, I really got frightened, and I thought you were going to call on me or something. But she says, the clock is still there. It was built in 1350, and it's still in Strasbourg, Germany. At one of these hours, he will come. For hundreds of years, maybe today, maybe today, and if you're a child of the light, you need to wake up and lift up and build up. There was a dad and a daughter. They were swimming off the coast of New Jersey at some resort. They were good swimmers. The daughter was about 10. And then they realized that they had gone quite a distance from shore, and they were drifting apart, and the tide was taking them out to sea in the Atlantic. The father, knowing that he didn't have the strength to really swim and get his daughter and to bring her to shore, said to her, Mary, I'm going to go swim to shore and get help. You swim as long as you can, and then if you get tired, turn on your back and float. You can float on your back all day, and I'll come back to get you. And so he swam to shore. Word spread quickly, and people came out to the shore worried about this little 10-year-old girl. They manned rescue boats. They scurried around, got into the water, and went out looking for this one little girl, and they found her. She was alive, floating on her back. And they pulled her into the boat, and she didn't look frightened. She didn't look scared. And they said, you're, you're calm. Weren't you frightened? She said, no. My dad told me I could float all day on my back if I needed to. And he said, I will come and get you. And I knew he would. So I was just waiting for him to come. I was floating and I was swimming and I was waiting until he came back. And you and I need to be doing the same thing for Jesus is coming soon. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of worship today. Thank you for the fact that you have called us to be children of the light. Lord, there may be someone here who has never put their faith and trust in you. Maybe it would be today. Maybe they realize for the first time that, that you are coming back and that you are going to judge the world. But all who put their faith and trust in Christ have sins forgiven and they've been given the gift of life. And Jesus comes back as Savior and not as eternal judge. Maybe someone here this morning would say, I want Christ to be my Savior. Will you trust him? Just open up your heart where you are and say, Lord Jesus, save me. And I guarantee you on the authority of the Word of God that if you cry out with faith, if you believe, God will save. And then if you're a son or daughter of the light, 
Let me encourage you to live like it. Be alert and awake. Do all you can to encourage and lift up others and to build up one another in the truth of Scripture. Feed on the Word yourself so that you might share the Word with others and that we all might grow up in this great salvation. And Lord, I pray as we go from this place today that you will take us with your blessing, the blessing of the Father, the presence of the Spirit, and the love of the Savior, the Lord Jesus. May the triune God go with us. In the name of Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.